0: Check this out. Well, I'm the best corner of the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Don't you open your mouth about the best. i you going to shut it for you real quick.
1: Live in the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. Hey, don't
2: roll. it. Hit it downhill.
0: With power, you're running straight downhill. You know where we're coming, and we know where y'all are going to be lined up at. Now you just got to stop. I'm saying I'm better than you.
1: It's the doctor, TC Martin.
0: Beast mode is already inside
1: of The doctor is now here. The beast is alive and well.
2: And welcome to a Wednesday. Is that where we're at? Wednesday? Can't keep track anymore. The proverbial hump day. Glad to have you here. TC Martin show coming at you live and in color and today, we're going to dive into all kinds of football. The pro side, the college side, with more breaking news. One more college saying, you know what? We're probably not going to play football at all. And of course, we got more NFL opt-outs as well. Now we have approaching the number of 50 NFL players opting out. We'll dive into that with our very good friend, Trevor Maddich. The 15-time Emmy Award winner from ESPN. We'll talk to Trevor regarding all things football. A little bit later on the show, we get our latest COVID update from Dr. Christina Madison, Roseman University, the public health pharmacist. And uh, always great to have her on the show when we get a chance to get to not only updated with COVID from a local perspective here in Las Vegas, but again, she is a not only a fantastic doctor, but a great sports fan as well, too. So we're going to get her thoughts regarding the uh, NFL testing policies, especially here uh what has happened recently with Matthew Stafford you know with a uh, a false positive test and I know last time we had a run, we talked about the false positives, the false negatives, and it 's somewhat confusing and when I heard the story today about Matthew Stafford, you know having one of those false positives, you know what does that mean and then it, it begs the question for me is how reliable are a lot of these tests? So we'll dive into that with Dr. Christina Masson today. So we got to a lot of football to hit on uh, with that. And uh, NBA, WNBA, the Aces are back in action tonight. And this is a game that was circled on the calendar uh, a while back as the Aces were taking on the Washington Mystics. Of course, this is the rematch of the semifinal series uh, last year. And the Mystics, of course, go on to win the WNBA championship, but uh, no Elena Deladon, uh, no several others for the Washington Mystics, so a good opportunity tonight for the Aces, and despite all that, the Washington Mystics are in first place at 3-1, and one. but a big game tonight, the Mystics a 2.5 point favorite, of course playing in the bubble there in Florida, and that game on national television, you can watch it at 5 p.m. on NBA TV, and I believe locally here in Las Vegas on uh, my, was it my TV? My, I think so. Yeah. They're calling it yeah. the Channel Wubble. Channel 21, yeah. The Wubble. You know, you, we, we talked about this before with Bill Lambeer and others, I was like, you know, are, are, are you down with the Wubble? The Wubble. I'm not I like sure the, I'm down with it. I love the buffet at the Wubble. Well, of course. Bill <laughs> Lambier loves the buffet. He's the only guy I think that I ever heard of called the buffet the buffet. My grandpa called it the buffet. Do they? (laughs) I've heard of a bouquet, you know, but I don't think I've heard of a buffet. But according to Bill Lambier, yes, there is a buffet. All right. So a lot to do. Earthquake back in the saddle again. And it's too bad you missed Bill Cartwright yesterday, speaking of, of the saddle, because I was telling Stevie Slapshot, you have to play his theme song. And Slapper looked at me like, "What are you talking about?" Oh no! So yes, we have the Bill Cartwright theme song, and you know Trevor Maddich, you know another Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer, like the Big Seven footer. I don't know if Trevor is you know, down with the the Westerns like Big Bill Cartwright, but uh, we'll have to bring Trevor on and ask him if he's heard of this song. If you could find it, Quake, I am which we have out. now donned the theme song for the Big Seven footer from El Grove. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, on his horse. I don't know if it's Blazing Saddles or what, but it is Trevor Maddich riding in from Provo, Utah.
1: When Liberty <laughs> rode to
2: town Trevor, what's going on? Have you heard of this song before?
1: Well, let me hear it. Just a sec. I'm listening. When Liberty Valance walked around, the men would step aside. Because the point of a gun was the only law that Liberty understood when it came
2: And according to Big Bill Cartwright, it is the greatest hey. Western movie of all time.
1: The man who shot Liberty Valance, Jimmy Stewart. Ring it up. Give that. There it is. Advance on to the it. next round, Trevor Maddich. So Bill <laughs> Cartwright is right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there you go. Oh, my goodness gracious. I I got Al Bernstein. I got Bill Cartwright. And now I have Trevor Maddich all in on the Westerns. I'm I'm
1: outnumbered here, my friend. I'm outnumbered. Absolutely. You know what the hero is in every man here? You see so many movies now where there's some teenage kind of nerd who, you know, is kind of buttery and all that. And all of a sudden he puts on his superhero costume and he becomes a superhero, and he fights crime, and, and the girls at his high school love him, and there's all kinds of variations of that. The idea is that that the audience will look at that and relate to that guy and wish they could be cool like that guy, because what teenager feels like he's cool, right? Well, in the man who shot Liberty Valance, the is not a teenager, but Jimmy Stewart plays a nerd, kind of a skinny nerd, and he has to rise up and be the hero gunfighter, and he does. And so for all of us nerds, which, which I've been all my life for the most part, I look at that and say, I want to be that guy. So it sounds a little bit different than Teen Wolf. Is that what you're uh, saying? A little bit different than <laughs> Teen <Team laughs> Wolf, yeah. Yeah, Teen Wolf, you know, it's, it's like you have to make a choice. Do you, you want to fund your, your retirement fund or do you want to buy shaving cream? Because you can't do both. <laughs> Quake, what is this? Nerds.
2: The nerds chant by Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. Ogre. There you oh, go. I love it.
1: <laughs> See, there, there's another one, right? The nerd, the biggest nerd, ends up with the prettiest the sorority girl, right? So all of us nerds watch that and think, I, I can be that guy. I want, and then we go watch it again and buy another ticket and, another ticket and then another ticket and then another ticket. And the next thing you know, we don't have a retirement fund. So Cartwright posed a question to us
2: yesterday. Uh, Trevor, and we'll let you chime in on this because I know that, again, you are Mer- Mr. Versatility here. Uh, he's posing the question, who is the greatest movie villain of all time?
1: Ooh. Oh, that's a great question. Yes,
2: and see, that's a Cartwright original. And usually we're talking food, we're talking drinks, we're talking this, uh, best sitcoms. But no, he came with that one yesterday, and that's more, I guess, in his in his wheelhouse and I came up with a couple, but uh, n- none to his, uh, you know, liking. But
1: uh, I'm sure that you could you could come strong here. Yeah, you know, the only thing that comes to mind right now is the iceberg in Titanic, but I don't think that counts. <laughs> the
2: iceberg. Uh, I think we're talking about yeah. like the Hannibal Lecters and people of that. I'm thinking. Ye-
1: you know what, Hannibal Lecter? Did, did he pick that, or did one of you guys pick Hannibal
2: Lecter? Uh, I think that was one. I think that was one of his. I can't remember who his his top one was. Well, Quake was off yesterday, right? Off. So you missed it. Yeah, I would have selected yeah. the Joker. Yeah. But but the, the, I the, said Joker too. But I guess the
1: who was the no not Joker. Oh you, no, you don't think so? You Joker? No, it, it was Joker when um, what's his name? Heath Ledger played Joker. Love that Joker. Right. Like, my favorite scene in that movie was when he was in a, a conference room of, like, bigwigs of some sort. Yeah. And he ended up, like, putting a pencil on a table upright, and then took a the guy's head and jammed it down on the pencil, went up his nose and killed him. That was, <laughs> that was the greatest pencil death in movie history, probably. So, I think, yeah.
2: I think there was, wasn't there a villain in the man that shot Liberty Valance? Uh yeah oh
1: yeah yeah but he was just a bully he was just you a bully. Know, he was just a bully he doesn't count that okay I'm gonna... yeah and the thing is what what got me on on Joker though was the Joaquin Phoenix Joker by the time I was done with that I scrubbed myself with a Brillo pad for weeks to get it off me <laughs> see I went a little bit more modern I went
2: with uh with Bill in Kill Bill David Carradine and I thought I thought okay yeah I mean I thought that Bill was was violent. He was vicious. He was, was ruthless. And, uh, of course, Uma Thurman and, and Daryl Hannah they were petrified of Bill. So I thought that was a great villain. And then uh, I'll go to one that you wouldn't think of as being a real good villain, but if you watch Django Unchained, Leonardo DiCaprio was a great villain there as as a Calvin
1: Candy. Wasn't that a good one, Quake? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, no, that that's the name Calvin Candy, the guy that yes, played the, yes, yes. the bad guy in Inglorious. Um, unfathered, you know. I don't think we can say that word on the radio, Uh with Brad Pitt I mean he was a great villain too to me the greatest villains though are the ones that you like even though you don't want to Like Rowdy Roddy Piper, that's what you're talking about. Like Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, you don't want to like him, but you can't help it. That's why Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. I mean, he ate people. He (laughs) ate people while they were alive, and you liked him. You couldn't help but like him. And that's why you look at Pulp Fiction, right? Samuel L. Jackson's character. Yes. I think he's supposed to be a villain, right? I love that guy. I love that guy. I wish I could talk like him.
2: Well, and speaking of which, I brought this up yesterday. Marcellus Wallace was supposed to be the you know the the big villain there, right? I mean, he was running the whole show, but you kind of felt sorry for Marcellus after he got bent over there uh, later on in the movie, and then you're kind of rooting you know, for the guy. You're rooting for the guy, but he was supposed to be
1: a villain. You know, you, you know, uh, except for certain kinds of villains, you don't wish that <laughs> upon any villain. But but the thing is, I couldn't not like Marcellus. Uh, Wallace, because his name is Marcellus and Marcellus Wiley. Yes. Is too cool of a dude to not yeah. like. And so I just, anybody named Marcellus is on my good list. Well, there you go. Then what, what we can agree
2: on, Trevor, I think we'll all agree on this that Zed, you know, it was fine for Zed to be
1: dead. Yeah, well, yeah, because yeah, but if his name was Ralph, I mean, we wouldn't even remember that Ralph was dead. Exactly. So you know, Zed, his whole thing was his name. I don't even remember what he looks like. Yeah, Zed on the motorcycle, and again, he was he was he was the villain that it, uh, it
2: was it was taking it out on on uh, Butch and in uh, Marcellus. So there you go. Pulp Fiction. The, yeah.
1: those are the villains though that you, you, you like. It's like the New England Patriots, right? If you're not a Patriots fan, you hate the Patriots, but man, you can't help but admire them. Because they have what you want, and no one can take it away. Now, up until now, we'll see what happens now. But that's the kind of a thing, though. There's villains in sports that are like that. The Yankees, Notre Dame. Yes, you, If you love them, it's with a passion. If you hate them, it's with a greater passion. But even when you hate them, there's some grudging acknowledgement that if they weren't better than you, you wouldn't hate them so much.
2: This is true. There it is. The life uh, according to Trevor Maddich. There it is. From the movie screen to the college football gridiron. All right, Trevor. So here we go. The Big Ten announces the college football season will begin around Labor Day weekend. Well, actually on Labor Day weekend, so that's Saturday, September the 5th. They're going to have a 10-game conference-only schedule. Each team is going to have two open weeks. Uh, It's going to be a league-wide schedule open date on November 28th. Not sure how I feel about that, but uh, the last weekend will be November the 21st. League championship game is set for December the 5th. So what are your thoughts when you hear the Big Ten saying, okay, uh, we're going to go all-in conference only, and we're starting on Labor Day. Let's go, fellas.
1: Yeah, if you're going to do it, you might as well start early because there's no guarantee that if you start three or four weeks later that anything is going to be changed. And by starting now, if you need to cancel a game or two here and there, you still have the chance of making it up later in the season because instead of playing 12 games, you're only playing 10. But if you start a couple of weeks later, you eat up your fudge factor and you've got to just cancel the games and be done with it. So I think that's, that's smart for them to get going. I think it's the SEC that doesn't start until September 29th. Um, but uh, actually, let's see. Yeah, I think it's them. It's them or the ACC. I think it's the SEC. And, and Trevor, if uh,
2: Major my, my, League Baseball would have went that direction, we wouldn't be running into the problems that we've got right now. Maybe they should have started a little bit earlier. And I understand they were, you know, haggling over, you know, the the percentages and all that sort of thing, going over everything with the players' union. So that got kind of messed up. But Major League Baseball, maybe if they would have committed a little bit earlier, uh, things wouldn't be so bad right now.
1: Yeah, and and that's fair. Um, although I think you know, when we were in March and April and even May, there were so many unknowns, and now we, we know a little bit more. At least we have a better idea of what some of the risks might be. They were kind of in a, in a bad situation, but I thought, I thought we'd be out of that situation by the time football rolled around. So mm-hmm. this, is, this is all fairly strange stuff. But baseball right now, baseball to me is a, a great cautionary tale for the rest of the sports because of, of what's happening with the Marlins and then the Cardinals and in Philadelphia, um, where football teams, I think, are looking at it, especially in the NFL, because it's more of an apples-to-apples comparison than, than college football is to, to Major League Baseball, although there are lessons for college football as well. But baseball is supposed to be in its own virtual bubble. And the NFL, they're going to try to do the same thing. Well, a couple of teams failed at that. And that's not to say that whoever patient zero was on the Marlins that first brought it into the clubhouse, that that person was irresponsible. I mean, we don't know that they weren't doing everything right, and they just got it anyway. But at the same time, you look at the NBA, they're in their bubble in Orlando, and they had a guy leave the bubble to go to, I think it was a funeral, decided he wanted to go get chicken wings at a relatively questionable establishment. (laughs) Don't know if he got um, COVID there, probably didn't either way. He left the bubble and went rogue and put at risk himself, his teammates, and everybody he might play against. And if he hadn't have been busted for that, who knows what might have happened. And I think that's a good cautionary tale for the NFL because now we're seeing, for certainly Major League Baseball games get canceled left and right in the first month of their abbreviated season. And I don't think NFL players want to put themselves in that category. It's home to work, work to home, that's it.
2: Yeah, and the lesson that we learned on that, Trevor, when you're planning a funeral, make sure that uh, you go like a Sweet Lou Williams and may- have your, your post-funeral uh, soiree over at Magic City. And again, like you said, whether it's the wings or you're there for the breasts or the legs or the thighs, this is exactly where you go. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to Magic City. That's it. After you lay your loved one down to rest, come to Magic City. The party is on as we celebrate with Wings & Company.
1: Oh yeah! You know, in fairness, Johnny Manziel said that those are really good wings. So <laughs> you know, if Johnny said it, then I guess I got to believe him. This is
2: true, and of course, uh, you would know a lot about that. Trevor Magic covers college football for ESPN. Oh yes, Johnny Football. Where is Johnny Football? By the way, I guess he has, he is saying he has no
1: desire to play anymore. Is this true? You know, I am picturing in my mind Johnny Football. Laying face down on an inflatable swan in an artificial pond at a party with a champagne glass in his hand, uh, excuse me, bottle in his hand, yes. and drinking out of a champagne bottle. Clearly he's already probably had a couple previous to that moment. Wondering why nobody in the NFL will sign him. Yeah.
2: And which where, where there's plenty of that type of footage here in Las Vegas on a couple of different occasions. If you go back about a year and a half ago, yeah, th- that footage it was was there.
1: Right here in Vegas. You know what? Yeah, no, there, yeah, there's there's a photo. I'm just describing a photo. Yeah. That's amazing stuff, though. When he left, you know, he was on injured reserve or something. He couldn't play or he was hurt. Uh, he left before the final game of the season or something. Came to Las Vegas, partied, checked in under a different name, wore a blonde wig and a big mustache. <laughs> and then he, then he complained about being charged for something. He thought he should get for free. He said, don't you know who I am? I'm Johnny Manziel.
0: <laughs> got himself
1: busted, got himself outed, and it is one of the most amazing self-inflicted um, embarrassments sure. that we've seen in recent times. That's how I understand the story. But you guys, there, are people listening, yep. you're going, yeah, I was there. That's what yeah, happened. Yeah, or exactly. maybe they can they can call in and tell you the
2: differences if I'm wrong. There you go. I, I believe Trevor, it's like the uh, the verbiage or the lyrics in Hotel California. How does that go?
1: You can check out anytime you like. <laughs> there you go. Is that the one you're talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. You can never leave. Right. Exactly. There is it is. It?
2: Exactly. Hotel California, the Eagles. The classic. That's exactly what I'm talking about. All right.
1: Yeah, and I still don't know what that song means. Yeah. Who knows? But and they won't say. They won't say. But it's a great song, though. It's a great song, especially great with song. that intro. Yeah, Are you kidding me? It's outstanding. I'm, oh yeah. But, but I'm guessing the reason they don't explain the lyrics, at least I haven't heard them explain the lyrics, is because they might have been uh, out with uh, Jim Morrison of the Doors doing mushrooms <laughs> in the Arizona <laughs> desert when they wrote them, and don't want to admit that they don't mean anything. This is true. This I is mean, true. seriously, the Group yeah. America? Yeah. Uh, uh, soap suds, green-like bubbles. Ooh. What does that mean? You know, Ventura Highway. Come I, on. I know. I got. Anyway. Lost. I was going to say, I got lost on Ventura Highway. There it is. Yeah. Oh, Listen, I wish I, could, I wish I could write stuff like that that makes, makes millions of dollars. Where's the
2: Sandman when you need him? There it is. He's Trevor Matic, ladies and gentlemen. Trevor, what I don't like about this Big Ten schedule, and you have to help me out here, you know, I'm a traditionalist, just like you are. Michigan, Ohio State are slated to play on October the 23rd. You don't play this game, this rivalry game, in the middle of your conference season. It's got to be the last regular season game, Trevor Maddich. We know this. We're playing for the old oak and bucket weather. Indiana, Purdue, all these guys, Wisconsin, Minnesota, playing for the axe. They have to be on the final weekend. What's going on here?
1: You're talking about Michigan, Michigan, Ohio State. Yes, Michigan-Ohio State, October yeah. 24th. No, they're wrong. They should not play it. They're doing October. it. It's on the schedule there. The they should do it at the end of September. You want early? Here's why. Okay. Here's why. If if one of them gets an outbreak and can't play the game at the end of September, you kick it out for three weeks. Now you got mid-October, and if if they have an outbreak and can't play the game, now you kick it out to November. That way you've got three chances to play the one game that matters more than any other game. I think that's actually pretty smart. It is pretty smart. It is
2: exactly forward thinking. I'm just thinking you know, from a traditional standpoint. But again, if you're going to stick it in the middle there, I don't get it. Unless they're actually thinking like you're thinking that, okay, then you could postpone it. But then again, we're, we're, why are we anticipating the negative here? Let's be smart. Let's, let's, let's do the right thing here. Let's schedule and let's play ball.
1: Do you have a TV? Why are we anticipating the negative? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. We got it. Boy. Hope, plan for the worst. Hope for the best. Yeah. The, the thing is, though, so many great rivalry games have been canceled. I mean, uh, Georgia Georgia Tech—they've been playing that game for something like yeah. ninety years. Yeah. That's canceled. South Carolina Clemson—they've been playing that since like nineteen oh six or something. Continuously haven't missed it. It's canceled. You know, the Florida Florida State is a massive, massive game with national interest. And that one's canceled. Yeah. Notre Dame-USC is canceled. All I mean, the non, just, non-conference ones we're talking yeah. about here, yes. And, and, and that's why I can't get mad. I can't get mad when other things happen. I can't get mad when the rivalry gets... The USC-UCLA was going to be played early in September. They kicked it back a few weeks. Um, and uh, so, But am I mad about that? No, I'm not mad about any of it. I, if, if some if, if, if 22 guys walk onto a football field and start throwing a ball around, I'm going to be thrilled no matter what the weirdness of it might be. So at this point, I think we're just, it's like, you know, if you're a starving man and someone throws an olive loaf at you, you know, you'll you'll say, hey, thanks, man. I'm going to eat that anyway, even though it's an olive yeah. loaf. And that's kind of what's looking at.
2: That's true. That's true. Okay, so UConn today cancels the season altogether. They're the first team to do this. We know that they are an independent, playing independent schedule this year. Uh, give us your thoughts. Why they did this, and they even said, "Hey, we're not even going to entertain the idea of playing spring football. We're canceling it all together." Yeah,
1: that, that's see that that's a good move. Here's the thing about UConn football: they uh, a couple things. First of all, they're independent, right? Yep. and so they, it's not like they're losing their conference money. I mean, if Vanderbilt said, "Look, we have lots of doctors on on campus, and they they would prefer we not play it." And if Vanderbilt did that and somehow lost out on SEC money, or Rutgers lost out on Big Ten money, it would be a big deal. But for the money that it costs to put on football and to the money they're getting back as an independent, if their their conference, their power five opponents, are no longer playing non conference schedules or they're just having a like the SEC or excuse me, ACC, ten conference games plus one non conference that doesn't include UConn, you know, from a financial standpoint, if they, they might even save money doing it. So we start there. The second thing is that Connecticut is one of the hardest-hit states. And so they, they, like the rest of the Northeast states, apparently, according to reports, they, the rate of infection is slowing dramatically, which is a really good thing. At the same time, I think that combination has it makes sense for a team like UConn, whereas if you just go down the road a little bit um, and go to New Jersey and to Piscataway and talk about Rutgers, they have a different a different calculus because the money that they stand to lose, if the rest of the Big Ten plays, they don't. And if the Big Ten says we can't make you play, but we can't we're not gonna pay you if you don't, you know, it becomes a a different set of ramifications.
2: Should we leave this up to each university to make this decision to cancel a season, or should it be by the conference, or should this be a national decision?
1: It can't be a national decision because every state We'll have a governor that will want things to be done differently. I mean, last I checked, don't don't hold me to this. But a couple of months ago, I read where the California State University system was going to not play football unless uh, students were back on campus. And this was this was back months ago, where nobody really knew what was going to happen, and I'm not sure exactly what's happening now. Uh, I've got a, a niece who is in uh, goes to Fresno State. And she is back there now, I think, getting set up. Hopefully that she'll be able to go back on campus. That's all I, all I know about that now. But if California is like that, and if Mississippi says, no, we're playing ball, and if Michigan says we are, we are going to keep this thing locked down and not let students back on campus and not play football, but Ohio says, yeah, we're going to play football. We're just going to try to be like the the NFL in the way we handle our distancing and testing and things then you can't really have one team force another state to follow its lead. You can't have one team or one state force another state to follow its lead. And you can't have one team in a conference determine whether or not the entire conference is going to play or shut down. So when you talk about it being separate, it's not even conference by conference. It really is team by team. And if there are teams in like Rutgers, if they decide that – they don't need the big 10 money this year and it's not worth the risk and they shut it down because they are the state university of New Jersey. Then if they do that, the rest of the big 10 is not going to shut down. And so that's why I say this will be such a patchwork. I mean, there's they're going to be, I mean, teams are going to try to play 10 games, 11 games, maybe even 12, some of the conferences, they may end up playing six or seven. They may end up playing the same team twice in order to get the games in. And, You know, I I, I just don't think that there is a pattern that we can anticipate as we look for how it will unfold. And that
2: is exactly why so many people are divided here, whether they're just fans or they're analysts like yourselves or or probably even athletic directors and college presidents, they're just so divided on whether we are actually going to have a football season or not.
1: Yeah, and and this is what we've talked about, TC, that um, we've talked about the individual players in college football, that while there's dangers to this, even to the people their age, a lot of people, based on what we think we know now, a lot of players would think that, that the risk uh, is well worth the potential reward, whether that award reward is to have a chance in an NFL career, whether that reward is to play college football because they love it so much. you know. What, but if the university president says, no, but it's too dangerous, you can't play, You can make a case for that, and some university presidents will say that, and UConn certainly did do that. But I come back to who should have the power to make that decision, and I still haven't heard a good argument for why it should not be the the college football players themselves together with their parents. And so, um, you know, and and I've heard arguments that there's a disparity of power, that the universities have all the power, and and so they'll be coerced and and influenced to play when they really don't want to. I don't buy that. I think that if, if they don't want to play, they don't have to, and they'll still keep their scholarship. Um, and same thing, though, goes with the with the universities. I think that every university president is going to make his own decision. And it is a powerful force in the decision-making process at the university president level that they do not want a football player to either die or have long-term organ damage from coronavirus that they caught during a football game on the watch of that university president. And so the the presidents may well snatch the power away from the players and the parents because they don't want it to happen on their watch. And you can't, you know, and then that's a good argument
2: too. So to that point, players from the big 10 now have joined the PAC 12 and threatening to boycott the season. If, I guess I'm going to use the word demands here, and I'm not sure if that's the proper word or not, Trevor. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, If these demands are not met with health and safety protocols and social justice issues, the Big Ten players, uh, um, a lot of them, they jointly... Issued this statement today. While we appreciate the Big Ten's recently announced plan for the upcoming season, we believe that the conference's proposal falls short in certain areas. Given that the players are the primary stakeholders in the business of college sports, we believe any course of action moving forward needs to include player input. We are deeply disappointed with the lack of leadership demonstrated by the NCAA with respect to player safety during COVID nineteen pandemic. We believe that the NCAA must, on its own. And through collaboration with the conference, devise a comprehensive plan to ensure the safety and well-being of players leading up to and during the upcoming fall season. I've never heard a group of players take a stance like this. This seems more business-like approach than, than a student-athlete, at least what we're used to. And I guess the, the question is, you may have already answered this, I mean, do the college players have the right to, to come out and
1: say this, make demands like this? Well, um, you know, you say it was well written. I really don't think that your defensive lineman, who is an English major, is the one to put all that together. I mean, exactly, they're having right, help from right, lawyers. Right, right. Because really, from a lawyer standpoint, this is also a slippery slope to them getting big commissions, uh, you know, as, as things change there. But from a general standpoint, I think it's good, especially when it comes to name, image, and likeness and being paid for that somehow or compensated for it somehow. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to health concerns, I mean, one of the things that I read that that they proposed in their letter, these players in the Pac-12, is that they want health insurance for six years after they retire. And some form of that, even if it only relates to orthopedic issues, is absolutely reasonable. Not just reasonable, but necessary. I played with a guy at BYU named Craig Garrick. Craig Garrick um, was our starting left guard on the national championship team. But he had had like seven or eight knee surgeries prior to that season, on the same knee. He went forward having additional knee surgeries with tremendous pain, um, ended up addicted to opioids for the pain, and his life kind of spiraled because it was either pain or opioids, and he had no other way to live his life, and he ended up dying at a young age. And the thing is, if if he would have had that kind of insurance, I'm not... I would be surprised if he wouldn't have had knee replacement surgery the day after that national championship season ended. And his life probably would have been different because the pain would have gone away. And so, you know, if not knee replacement surgery, then certainly some sort of, um, some sort of something that goes beyond taking opioids to numb the pain in the short term. So college football players, most of them, I would think, move on and don't have any problems at all. But some of them have long-term repercussions, whether it's brain trauma or orthopedic issues, et cetera. And I think that that this being an opportunity to bring some of those things to light is good. Now, there's some other things they got to be careful about. One of the things that I read TC was that they wanted something like 50% of all football revenue to go towards um, non-football sports. And if I read that correctly... That, to me, would make two things certain. The first is that the non-football sports that got that extra money would be the most dominant in America. The most dominant in America. And Pac-12 football would lose its opportunity to be competitive on a national level. Because everybody else is feeding football first. Whereas the Pac-12 is taking half of it off the top and giving it to the wrestling team you know, in the lacrosse team. And so I think that, I hope, was just a starting point for negotiations to get more money into those other sports. But they've got to be careful what they ask for because if they get it, uh, it might not be the result that they look for. All right. He is Trevor Madich,
2: ESPN college football analyst and, of course, former player, national champion to BYU, and, of course, 12-year, major, uh, 12-year NFL career as well. Trevor, we'll leave you with this here as we're talking college football and the Big Ten announcing that they're going to start their season on Labor Day weekend. Could you see a conference, maybe like the SEC, go rogue here if other conferences and there are other schools like UConn that decide to shut things down here? Could the SEC be one of these conferences that says, hey, you know what, we're playing no matter what?
1: Yeah, I think you'll see that. That's one of the reasons to go straight conference schedule as well, uh, so they have more control over that stuff. I think if every other conference shut down or pushed it to the fall, and if the SEC was able to keep COVID out of most of their teams most of the time and finish the season that's eight or ten games, that they would do it on their own with no other football being played. Imagine the national championship, though. You know, the SEC champion, okay, you're the national champion. (laughs) Um, I don't know if they put an asterisk by it, but but yeah, I think <laughs> yeah, there, I there's, there's think so, so much Jeez. yeah craziness. But see, another thing that they would think is this: again, if you look at the you look at the Pac-12, for example, let's say that the Pac-12 uh, solves its its questions and and meets the players at a place that they are comfortable with what the Pac-12 has done based on this letter that was sent, and so they play. Let's say that everybody else shuts down. So what? Absolutely so what? It just doesn't affect the Pac-12 and their conference schedule at all. And so I I just don't see the Pac-12 looking to the Big Ten or the SEC and saying, well, if they shut down, we're going to shut down. I think it's much more likely that they would have an eye towards other conferences and teams and what they're doing. But the most important thing would be, do we have outbreaks in our teams? And if they don't, then I think they'll continue to play. And keep this in mind, too, and this goes for the NFL and for college football, that your, your champions might not be the most talented or best coached teams. It might be the most disciplined teams. Because the most disciplined teams have the best chance to keep COVID out of their ecosystem. I mean, and that could be in the NFL as well. I mean, the, guy, the teams that keep their key players out of the COVID uh, reserve, injured reserve list, during key stretches of the season, against guess key opponents might be the ones who end up going the farthest and having a chance to win a Super Bowl, even though they're not the best team. It's just that their best players were available at times when better teams, more talented teams, best players weren't available. So this, this you know, from a discipline standpoint, eight and eight style teams have a chance to go far farther than that if their discipline is superior, even though their talent is not. Most likely to complete
2: the entire season. College football, the NFL, both.
1: NFL. NFL, because they have so much to lose and they get it. The average NFL career is three and a half years. And most NFL players uh, make at or near the minimum salary. I don't think they're going to want to jeopardize one of three, and three, three to four years if they're lucky because they snuck out and got chicken wings at a place Johnny Manziel frequents. I think they'll stay home and make chicken wings themselves. And there's more to lose there. College, you've got two problems. One is that, you know, you've got to deal with going to class. And if the players have to go up on campus, then despite all they do, they will probably be encountering someone with the virus. And then the question is, does it jump and take root in their bodies? that's a problem that the NFL doesn't have. Um, and so, you know, these are these are things that um, make it harder and more problematic for college to go forward. Plus, in the NFL, the owners are going to play. And if guys, guys go, you know, get test positive, they're going to bring guys in off the street and play anyway because they want that TV money to go. Whereas in college, you have a different dynamic from an NFL owner with the university president's who see their student-athletes as their own kids. And the owners don't see that of the NFL.
2: Well, we hope we have college football as well as NFL. And uh, when September rolls around, Trevor Maddich, I-, I hope we're talking uh, about this because we all love our college football. I know that's your livelihood right now as well, too. And uh, it's, it's something that we all desperately uh, want to watch. And, again, hopefully everything gets better here and is more safe. So, we appreciate yeah. you brother as always great stuff. I appreciate you spending a lot of time with us here today, my man. And there you go. We'll let you put your helmet back on. Get those M&Ms. Get them back on there the on the bedspread and do your thing, my friend. There you go. Oh, I love it. Rise and shout. <laughs> All right, Trevor, be good, brother. There is Trevor Manich, ESPN the 15-time Emmy award winner. I know Quake is probably looking at me like what are you talking about with Trevor and M and M's on on his bedspread? There,
0: I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask too many you're questions. Not gonna, you're not gonna yeah. judge, are you? No, I'm not. going to Exactly.
2: Judge. Okay, it's all legit there. Okay. I mean, this guy is so much in the X's and O's. Uh, you know, before game night, he would take his M and M's, nice, and his color coordinated M and M's, and he'd get those blocking schemes all out. That's what he was doing. Those M and M's. And you know what he did with him afterwards? Ate him. I of hope, course he did. I hope so. Of course he did. Absolutely. Need a little energy before games. Yeah, of course. You know how that goes. You know what I'm talking about. I do. Dr. Christina Madison, our resident uh, doctor, who's been fantastic with us, giving us more COVID-19 updates. She is going to join us next as we talk about the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball.
0: What's up, guys? This is Mac from the Las Vegas Aces. You're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. Boom. Yeah.
2: So tomorrow is the deadline for NFL players wishing to opt out for this season. 45 players have already decided not to play. Lots of opt-outs. So we've got to look at the differences here between there's voluntary opt-outs, high-risk opt-outs, and unspecified and... To be designated a voluntary opt-out, a player must be under contract or subject to a tender. The player will be eligible for a stipend of $150,000 to be treated as a salary advance against his contract. Uh, An undrafted free agent, however, is not eligible for the stipend. And to be designated as a higher-risk opt-out, a player must have a diagnosis reflected to their, uh, in their medical records, or at least one that is a serious ailment or even a disease. So, uh, why are there voluntary opt-outs or unspecified? I understand the high risk. Uh, a lot of questions, uh, that uh, We can get answered with our good friend, Dr. Christina Madison, who joins us here, uh, joins us regularly. Just so fortunate to have her to be part of the show, the Public Health Pharmacist. You can follow her at publichealthpharmacist.com and also from Roseman University. Dr. Christina, how are you doing today?
0: I am amazing. Always a good day talking with you, TC. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So
2: when you hear me talk uh, about the NFL players and those that have opted out thus far, uh, give me your thoughts when you hear about the large number of players that have decided not to play this year.
0: Yeah, so it's it's been really interesting to kind of see the progression over the last few weeks of some of these individuals making decisions um, to voluntarily uh, decide not to play. And I think part of it is based on the fact that unfortunately, we're still seeing a lot of community spread. And in some areas of the country, we are seeing those hot spots. or red zones um, where we're not seeing a decline in the number of COVID-19 cases, but we're actually seeing an increase. And so I think it's really based on knowing your risk. And so for some of those players, they may be living in a household with somebody who is vulnerable. Um, They may have small children. Um, There's a lot of different things I think that they're coming into play that they're factoring in. But ultimately, I feel like they just don't want to risk their health, um, especially if it means that they may not be able to you know to play in the future if they do end up getting um, infected with COVID-19 and potentially having complications associated with the infection, even if they are young and otherwise healthy. All
2: right. So we heard that Matthew Stafford, the quarterback for the Lions, had a false positive test. Uh, today, he was actually activated off the COVID list, and now he can rejoin his team. You know, when I hear about That we're having so many of these false positive tests, it kind of begs the question here is, can we trust the test? And can we trust the testing process? Because as we know, I mean, to be fair, this is still relatively new, and people coming down with this uh, they got hit. We've heard from boxers. We've heard it from MMA stars. We've heard it from players. They, well, I didn't have any symptoms. This, I, I'm totally shocked by this. I've had negative tests and negative tests, and now I'm I'm getting a positive test here. So uh, I know it's probably terrible to try to question this here, but do you feel that, that we have good reliability with these tests?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this is a really interesting question. So I feel like um it's really knowing what type of test that's being used. So, you know, when we look at the difference between the testing, so there's something called qualitative and quantitative. And so when you look at something that's qualitative, it's basically just giving you a yes or a no. So it's basically like a pregnancy test, right? So there's kind of this minimum bar that you would have to be able to detect in order to determine if you're positive or not. And when you're doing those kind of tests in the absence of really knowing whether or not the population that you're testing it in is likely to be positive, that's when you end up getting false positives. So if I'm, so say I have 100 people, and I know for sure that out of those 100 people, 30% of them I know for sure are positive, right? And then I use the test in them, and then it predicts that all 30 of those people test positive, right? And the, and the other, you know, the other 70 come back negative. Then I know that the likelihood of that test is, is going to be accurate. But if I'm testing in 100 people and only 10 out of those 100 people actually have the infection, you're gonna end up with more false positives because you're doing it in a population that's not more likely to have the infection. And so that was kind of the issue that we, we came up with earlier on when, when everybody was touting the use of these antibody tests, but ultimately they have to be validated, and you need to use them in an appropriate population in order for the test to really be accurate. And unfortunately, because we're using this in the context of professional sports, and they need a test and they need it right now, it's like these serial tests that they're doing, um, unfortunately, you're going to have these false positives come back because you're just testing in a population that's not likely to have it, right? They're in the bubble. They're, you know, they, they're taking precautions. And so it's, it's unfortunately just the nature of who you're testing that that's why you may potentially have a, a false positive.
2: So the Lion statement today said this as as a result of a false positive test result, uh, Matthew Stafford was forced, uh, due to the nfl NFL PA protocols, to sit out until he received two negative tests. His testing sequence for the pre-entry period was negative, negative, and then the false positive. The next three tests were all negative. So to be clear, Matthew does not have COVID-19 and never has had. COVID-19, and the test in question was a false positive. Also, all of Matthew's family have been tested, and everyone is negative. So per the NFL protocols, players needed three negative tests to enter the facility for training camp when this started last week, and Stafford's false positive came on his third test, uh, Uh. according to the team, and uh, which would have been taken on Friday. So when you hear all of this... Make heads or tails out of it and and explain to us novices what all this means, yeah,
0: so it's really interesting um so obviously i'm I'm not here to you know nitpick what the you know what the league's decision was on how to do their testing protocol.
2: Oh, no, that's our job, Christine. That's okay. That's mine. I'll take, I'll take full responsibility <laughs> for that. I just want to make sure that that's
0: clear because I don't want anybody coming after me after this.
2: Okay, hold um, on. Earthquake, stop recording right now, okay? All right. No.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. But in all seriousness, um, you know, when you look at the fact that they are requiring three, you know, there, there would need to be, you know, basically like what they did, right? Which is that they, you know, they have the the, the positive, and then you have to analyze it, right? And so I, I tell, um, I tell my students this all the time: like, do you treat the test or do you treat the patient, right? And so you, you have to look at other factors other than just this negative test, or excuse me, this positive test in this instance. Um, and so if You know, the simplest answer is usually the most correct one. So if everything was pointing to the fact that this didn't look right, which is what they did, they were like, okay, maybe this doesn't sound right, that this is coming back positive. I think they needed to really go back and look at at the testing procedure, right? So, you know, was the test contaminated? You know, did somebody not wash their hands before they, you know, they administered the test and maybe it got cross-contaminated with someone else's test? You know, I feel like maybe the procedure itself needs to maybe be looked at a little bit more closely in addition to the fact that, you know, that these tests need to be taken into context with everything else going on. Um, So as far as looking at it moving forward, they may need to think about, you know, do I need three tests or maybe do I just need two tests? Or, you know, do I do the test in addition to symptom review? Um, do I do it in addition to a temperature check? Do I do it in addition to a pulse oximeter that tests how much oxygen is in the blood, right? Because there's a lot of people who are, they say they're completely asymptomatic, but then when you test their oxygenation, their oxygenation is low. So, you know, I'm not advising the league, but there's other things that maybe they may need to think about adding to their procedure that might help with some of these you know, false indicators. Um, and I know it's all about making sure we're keeping everybody safe, but I think they did the right thing by testing the family and then, you know, having them sit out and it's really better to be safe than sorry. So, um, you know, it's, it's disruptive because obviously the, you know, we want people to be able to play, but you know, we are in the middle of an active pandemic. So, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Oh,
2: I'm calling Roger Goodell right now to make sure that you are advising the NFL. You need to be advising the NFL. Plain and simple. <laughs> well, I would love it. There you go. There we go. Okay. So, Dr. Christina Madison, public health pharmacist, joined us as we are talking sports and COVID with the uh, cancellation of the uh, the UConn football season. Uh, they came out and said, you know, we we're not going to take any, any risk here whatsoever, and we know that Connecticut is a very, very high, one of the highest, I guess, right, uh, you know, risk factors here. But, you know, going back to the testing, I want to ask you, I know people that have had the, the nose test. I guess that was the really the, the, the common one and I guess the mm-hmm. most uncomfortable one. And then we mm-hmm. understand that a lot of the NBA and WNBA players now are going through the, the throat uh, tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, is one more reliable than the other and kind of you know distinguish for us uh, the difference between the two?
0: Yeah. So, um, so the test that we're talking about is it's a, it's a PCR test or a nucleic acid amplification test. And so basically it's looking for the active virus. And so there's a, Couple of different ways that you can obtain the sample, and I think that you know the distinction here is: Are you going through the nasal passage to obtain the sample, or are you basically getting at the same around the same spot that you can access through the nose, but actually being able to do it through the throat? And so, uh, in the beginning, we thought we could only access that area and be able to get a good sample through the nose, um, but through some additional testing, we've that you can still obtain an adequate sample just by going through the throat. And so um, the the testing, there's no difference. It's just how do you get the sample. So it's the same test that's being analyzed. However, I will tell you that, you know, it is uncomfortable. And so, you know, if somebody, you know, uh, either, you know, if they move when they're accessing that area or maybe, you know, the person doesn't go far enough back, you may not be able to get an adequate enough sample. And then that may potentially um, cause the result to come back negative if you don't get enough um, of, the, of the, you know, of the sampling to, in order to, to check for the virus. So, but they are technically the same test. Okay. It's just that how you're accessing the sample.
2: So which league, in your opinion, do you think is doing the best job from a health perspective? whether it's the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, hockey?
0: Yeah, so I know you were going to ask me this question, (laughs) um, which is a little bit controversial. Um, and I'm going to take the politically correct end, and I will say the league that's doing the best is probably going to be the one that's being played in an area where the case rates are lower and um, and there's less community spread. Because that's the thing: you could have the best procedure in the world, you could have the best laid plans, but if you're playing in a county or a state that has raging cases of COVID-19. It doesn't matter how many precautions you take. If somebody goes out into the community, they could be exposed, and then they could just bring it right back to your bubble.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you, I think that's a, a great answer we give. I don't know if that's politically correct. I think again, you know, that's 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 good. So when you look at that, you know, the NBA really has very few cases. They are in the bubble. Obviously, we've seen what happened with Major League Baseball. And I think yes. you, can, you can blame Major League Baseball for you know, deciding to travel and not play in, in one location. But then again, you have one team that had a couple guys that went rogue on you, basically. Because when you look at you know probably 26 or 27 of the Major League Baseball teams, they're fine. It's only, yeah. it's only one or two teams, and, and the Marlins started this thing.
0: Yeah, so decision-making via WhatsApp group text, maybe not the best thing. Right,
2: right, 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 right. Exactly.
0: But we have to have those wings, Christina. We have to go have those wings at those strip clubs. That's where we have to go. Oh my gosh, oh, I can't even. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, though, I, I really want people to understand that it's it is about personal responsibility, and especially when it comes to you know these instances where there's like you know we're, we have this closed. Very intimate group that is, you know, that isn't, you know, that's playing together. You know, anytime you leave the group, you put the rest of the group at risk. And so I think, um, you know, from the NBA standpoint, the fact that they do have this very closed system and everything's basically being brought to them, like they have a full time medical staff. I know that, you know, Dr. Fauci, um, you know, when they were first planning, he had advised them um, on some of their procedures, but like everything really is there. Like they don't have to leave for anything, and then ultimately, you know, they just have unlimited resources and money, and unfortunately, we don't have those kinds of things for college sports, you know. I mean, I feel like this would be such an undertaking for, you know, you know, for college sports to be able to do this safely, um, especially in areas where, you know, we see widespread um, activity of the virus. And so I think I mentioned it the last time I was on, but, you know, those two numbers, you know, because it really is all about the data that we should be watching, are the reproductive rate, which is how fast, you know, the the virus is, is reproducing in an area. So for every one person that's infected, how many other people they infect, and then the percent positive rate. So when you test people, how often are the tests coming back positive and so for us here in in the state of Nevada you know, we've gotten our percent positive rate down to 10%. At one point, it was all the way up to 20%, but it's still double what WHO recommends uh, as being safe and, and being able to really keep a hold on the virus. So, you know, we all have to do our part. And really, us as a community, if we want to see professional sports, we got to wear the mask, we got to wash our hands, and we got to limit our time in public space.
2: So the Raiders made an official announcement saying no fans will be allowed for the entire season at Allegiant Stadium, so when you hear this, uh, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a major blow uh, to the 65,000 season ticket holders do you think that is the wisest thing to do? because we know that other teams are, are open to having at least maybe 15,000 to 20,000 fans at home games
0: you know, at considering the, the place of where our case rates are right now, I think that, you know, they're, they're doing that decision based on an abundance of caution. Um, it is a very, you know, it's a new stadium, um, you know, and they're trying to protect their, you know, their investment and, you know, this, this is a huge undertaking and a huge investment, I think, um, you know, bringing the team to Vegas, you know, all new branding, the new stadium, you know, there's a lot of things on the line. And so when you think about the health and wellness of your players, in addition to, you know, those ad revenues, I, I think they're just, you know, it's a calculated risk that, you know, that, you know, they're going to have to do something for those season ticket holders. But, um, you know, when you think about it all together, it's, it's probably what's best moving forward.
2: All right, Christina, we appreciate uh, the time as always. You can catch her at publichealthpharmacist.com uh, We appreciate uh, the knowledge and of course uh, uh, your humor and everything is always appreciated here, my my friend.
0: My pleasure, TC. <laughs>
2: we'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. Dr. Christina Madison, again, public health pharmacist and also Roseman University. I want to thank Trevor Madge for joining us as well. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website tcmartinshow.com. We'll catch you here tomorrow at